Podcast here at the Athletic Toronto, uh, your Toronto Raptors podcast that will not change its name despite that one guy's request on Twitter. Uh, I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me, as usual, Eric Kareen. Eric, uh, are we pouring our teas out for the last time you will be recording this podcast from your old home? Um, that could do serious damage to any number of electronics I have on my table right now. Uh, so I'm not going to do that. I suppose I could put it on the floor or pour it out the window. Uh, but what if somebody's dog is uh, using the lawn for a toilet? That I'd feel bad about that. Not only just a dog. What if there were a human? Ah, uh, who cares? Yes. By the way, this is completely unrelated to anything we're going to talk about today. I was drinking beers on a rooftop yesterday because it was beautiful out in downtown Toronto. <laughs> Uh, I did not know that streetcars, uh, on top of streetcars, they were uncovered. There's not a roof on the streetcar. They're just like all the insides are just out. Um, That's weird. I'm not sure I knew that either. So like I, when it snows or rains, they, this I, thing's I, just got like fans and like wires and stuff just sitting out. Yeah, I can't even really picture what you're trying to explain, but I'll be on the lookout, surely. Yeah, these topless streetcars. Hey, uh, it's interesting. By the way, the, uh, the Rogers Center, they were testing the roof out this weekend, too. On Saturday, before I went to the Raptors 905 game, I was meeting someone at the Air Canada Center. And as I was walking down, they were, like, retracting the roof, and it's way faster now. I know they invested a bunch of money. Um, this is probably something that should stay on the Fifth Deck podcast, the Athletic Toronto's Toronto Blue Jays podcast that comes out on Thursday. Subscribe uh, and rate on iTunes. Um, but it's very nice that the weather is turning, and it's going to be really nice. Uh, it's supposed to be low teen temperatures and vaguely sunny on the weekend where people will probably be watching game one of the Toronto Raptors playoff series at Jurassic Park outside the Arcana Center. That is exciting. Uh, yes, it is because that has become a thing uh, that people do during the Raptors uh, playoff games. And I remember there were a few awful weather games last year, unless I'm just making that up. Uh, and we certainly haven't escaped that possibility because uh, it doesn't always just stay spring once it turns spring. We can do a bit of uh, regression to not necessarily the mean, but, you know, climate, climate regression. Uh, but game one, which figures to be at 1230 on Saturday afternoon, can't confirm or deny that. Uh, it'll be nice to have the sun shining and... Uh, you know, a symbol of a symbol of hope for what could be another long playoff run or an interesting playoff run, some sort of playoff run. I have a hot take for you about the Saturday 12:30 starts. Not gonna happen. No, it is gonna happen. Everyone <laughs> looks at it as this negative and this big terrible thing that the league doesn't respect Toronto and like they're not a good matchup or the NBA TV matchup and stuff like that. Counter take. The league loves that they can rely on the Air Canada Center and Raptors fans at Jurassic Park to bring a playoff atmosphere at 1230 on a Saturday, and they are not certain that other fan bases um, would represent as well on TV and kind of kick things off with that playoff feel. I think it's a compliment. It's a very glass-half-full view of things. That's, uh, uh, that's outside of the character of this podcast. Yeah, I, um, I heard a member of the organization... Uh, 
not expressing that view recently. So I would uh, not say it's not like expressing the opposite view. Yes. Okay. Uh, so I wouldn't say it's widely shared, but look, now that they've had that uh, that dry run against the New York Knicks on Sunday, uh, yeah. uh, they should be ready. I can't it's, hear the term and, dry run without thinking of Tobias Fumke. <laughs> I hope the Raptors didn't blow their wad on what turned out to be a dry run. Yeah, uh, it was looking blue there for a while. but uh, They blew themselves, yeah. Uh, but then they blew the Knicks out. Yes. that was uh, Okay, so let's talk about that. Kyle Lowry came back, and the three games have kind of followed this same formula. Uh, here's another conspiracy theory hot take for you. The Raptors are intentionally playing poorly for parts of these games so that their identity can be forged in these tight fourth quarters and these elaborate comebacks. Uh, they are now 3-0 and since Lowry returned. They've all included um, long stretches of the team being bad, obviously intentionally, so they can get those high-pressure reps in. Um, I disagree. Yeah, I it's not a, it's not a serious take. Um, but I, I, it's not like it's just you know, it's basketball to an extent, but it's this team to a greater extent for whatever yeah. reason. Like they have a great start against Miami and blow what was it an eighteen point lead or something like that yes. over the course of however many minutes that was. They start poorly and they come back. Like this team is just gets comfortable at different periods. I mean, beyond the fact that it's very hard to play not full effort because I, you know, I think you're always trying if you're on the basketball court, but like Dan Reynolds, game would disagree with you. Oh no. Like <laughs> that's just uh, full focus. Maybe yes. uh, it's, it's a different, it's sort of a different thing than effort for 48 minutes. Uh, especially when you're playing, you know, Ron Baker and uh, Hernan Gomez. The Oh, man, was he awesome on Sunday, by yeah, the way. Yeah, that property brother-looking ass. <laughs> um, Here's a fun stat for you. Uh, John Schumann pointed it out of NBA.com. Raptors, for the second year in a row, lead the league in uh, comebacks from down 10 points. They're 21-25 and 25 in games that they fall behind by 10 points or more. Uh, ridiculous that 46 times in 81 games for a team this good, they've fallen behind by double digits. Uh, that also means they're 29 and six when they don't manage to fall behind by 10 points. They've won almost as many games when they fall behind that big as they as they have just not falling behind that large. Well, it seems to me they should stop falling behind by that many points. And Life then would certainly seem to be easier, right? Yeah, you know, unless uh, you lose that game to Charlotte. I guess that was the most recent example of them not falling behind. I don't think they were down 10 in that game unless it was early, uh, and and they blew it. Uh, but yes, 29-6 and six is a better winning percentage than 21-25. and 25. If I'm doing my math correctly, yeah. which, which is always, you know, touch and go there. Okay, let me ask you uh, more specifically. So I don't think there's that much to be concerned about. They're still getting their chemistry back with Lowry. They're fighting off, you know... As much as they might say otherwise, these games don't mean a lot, so it's probably tough to stay too dialed in. When you're playing a team against the Knicks that's starting Ron Baker and Monadour, um, like, your attention can wane. I get it. Is there some concern, though, 
that the Toronto Raptors' persistent uh, inability to start games well uh, persists, for lack of a better word. In 40 minutes together now over three games, the new starting lineup, which was expected to be very good because similar iterations had at least been okay, and on paper this makes sense, a minus 25.2 net rating in 40 minutes together. Uh, the Raptors continue to struggle to find a starting lineup that works. Uh, yeah, it's a concern, but only as so far as Dwayne Casey remains stubborn to changing it if it persists. Okay, hang on, though. Is Dwayne Casey stubborn for not changing it? or like Because no. on paper, this starting lineup still makes probably the most sense. No, I don't think he's stubborn. I'm just saying if it persists into the early playoffs and it costs, you know, it proves costly, then you start to look at a change, right? Like that's what right. happened with Luis Scola last year. Um, and you can argue that that was more glaring and blatant, blatant with a much uh, bigger awesome. sample size. And than, a more obvious solution. Yes. Um, I mean, you know, the solution here is, Tucker for Carroll. Right, but it's not as it's not as obvious that that would work well as Patterson in for Scola because we had lots of evidence that Patterson worked with that lineup. Uh, with PJ Tucker, you know he's played better than Damari Carroll since getting here. But on paper um, and looking at the way opponents game plan for guys, Damari Carroll still adds a little bit more spacing. Uh, even though Tucker shot the three ball really well from the corners since getting here, I think he's fifth in the NBA in corners threes made now. Um, but, you know, there's not there's not a great reason that Tucker would make that lineup way better. Like, they're fairly close overall, yeah. Carroll and Tucker. Yeah. Um, Whereas Scola had no NBA utility left at that point. Uh, so, I would say I'm mildly concerned. But without that obvious, obvious solution, uh, it's not a big deal. And it will also come down to who they're playing, which we will get into. But, you know, Milwaukee... Uh, could create an interesting test case uh, test case of how married you are to Jonas Valanciunas as your starting center, no matter what, right? Yes, because yeah, we'll talk about we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, the the counter to that before, we, like, we'll we'll talk more about Milwaukee in a bit. But uh, my counter to that before I forget, in case it doesn't come up after, is that Milwaukee's biggest weakness, and it is a giant glaring weakness, is rebounding. So, yeah. you know, Jonas Valanciunas, you could make an argument that defensively you want him off the court. You could make an argument that Jonas Valanciunas is going to be a very important piece in that series also if he's, you know, playing like we saw him play against Detroit last week. Yeah, and I think you start with him no matter who your opponent is. He's yeah. he's starting until it proves a glaring mistake. Plus, playoff JV. Yeah, it's true. He will have... Uh, 15 and 11 in the first half of game one, and six of those 11 will be offensive rebounds off his own misses, <laughs> and uh, it's just what's going to happen, and they're going to lose because it's game one. Um, okay, related to Jonas Valanciunas, I wanted to talk about one other lineup thing that we've seen other than the starting lineup. Uh, Dwayne Casey's kind of been all over the place with the different iterations, seeing you know what works, what doesn't. One thing he appears ready to do is at the start of the second and at the start of the fourth, we will see some semblance of a Kyle Lowry and bench unit. Um, for 18 minutes over three games, that unit has included Jonas Valanciunas. So you and I talked about how the rotation was likely to shrink. Uh, you're probably, depending on the matchup and foul trouble, only using three bigs, Valanciunas, Patterson, and Ibaka, and rotating them in and out. 
Uh, so we've kind of, we've not called for Valanciunas to play more with those second units, but wondered what that might look like. And those groups looked okay. They didn't look great on Sunday. Uh, Valanciunas didn't have a, a great game in general. Uh, but we saw that. We saw what Lowry, Joseph, Tucker, Patterson, Valanciunas would look like over the last couple games. Uh, and then Casey also used Pirtle in that spot. Do you do you have an idea of what Casey is? Sorry, is Dwayne Casey still going to be experimenting in that Lowry and bench spot when the playoffs start? Um, I think what we've seen is probably what he'll go off, go in with. Uh, would be my guess. Uh, and it was very interesting on Sunday because the Lowry, you know, Lowry still looks a step slow defensively to my eyes. I'm not sure if you'd agree, but there's a lot of like getting behind the play and trying to swipe. There is uh, a lot of letting Ron Baker run by you and then like visibly giving up on the play. Yeah. His, uh, him and JV in combination on the screen roll on Sunday was bad. Yeah, but this, we're talking about Billy Hernan Gomez here, man. No one can stop that guy. He's been dropping yeah. 20 pieces on teams all year. Uh, yeah. Um, so I think, but that's the beauty of this roster, right? Like, Jakob Pertl came in and was arguably the second-best Raptor, yes, on Sunday. Um, and I think I'm only being slightly facetious when I say that. Uh, so I would expect that eight-man rotation plus, whoever's more valuable between Norm and DeLon to be sort of what's happening out of the gates. And I would expect JV to be in some of those in that unit with Lowry and then Patterson, Tucker, and Joseph. But they can change that up. It can be a Abaka instead of uh, JV. It could be Pirtle instead of JV. They could put Carroll on the floor uh, as a small four if you need to go extra small for some reason which doesn't seem hugely likely against either of their most likely opponents but um again like it gets back to the versatility of this lineup so i, I think what we've seen over the last three games are approximations of what Dwayne casey is going to try to go in with uh and generally they'll be the rotation patterns uh, that he's going to start with, but we've already seen him veer away from that at times. So uh, I don't think anything is written in anything approaching, resembling, uh, feeling like stone, you know? Okay, I want to bring up one thing that is that better be written in stone. Um, not Garbage time excluded, they played two minutes with both DeRozan and Lowry on the bench together at the end of, I think, the first quarter. If they do that in the playoff game, I'm going to get very unreasonable, Eric. Well, maybe you're... But sometimes being very not unreasonable, but confused or angry is the reasonable thing to do. Reasonable isn't a synonym for calm. Like, That's true. This isn't the... Raptors comments podcast. That's true. Which isn't, which isn't a word, but neither is reasonableist, so we're uh, okay. But it, but it's alliterative. That's true. That's important. Um, but I think barring foul trouble, we're not going to see that. Um, I I think we have at least two years of evidence that that is not something that the Raptors look to do. Like they they stay away from that 
except when they were using the all five man bench two years or the year that the wizard swept them. Yes. Uh, Not unrelated things. Uh, um, they're mostly unrelated, I would say, because uh, that lineup was really good for most of the year, and then Kyle Lowry was bad in the playoffs, uh, and then the Raptors got swept. So I would argue they were mostly unrelated, but that is neither here in my apartment, apartment or there, which is any number of other places. Um, okay, let's talk about Lowry quickly. He's been back for three games. Uh, he's played a lot of minutes, 42, 36, and 38. He has put up 46 points, uh, 27 assists, 19 rebounds, uh, 7 steals, and he's shot, what, 19 for 40? So very close to 50%. He's uh, 7 of 19 on threes, which is uh, fairly regular. And then after that one, one of five flip from the free throw line, uh, he's been perfect in the other two games. Kyle Lowry looks good enough that we probably shouldn't be too concerned about any lingering wrist stuff entering the playoffs, right? I think so. I mean, uh, Bruce Arthur of the Prada Star had a great lead to his story on uh, Friday that included Lowry walking into the locker room after the game and basically cursing himself out and saying he sucked, um, which... He probably would not get him on the Raptors' reasonableness podcast because I think he did not suck in that game. He did not uh, suck. Um, but that's a standard that he holds himself to, which is a good and nice thing. I appreciate uh, it, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not worried. I'd like to see him perhaps be more aggressive in pick-and-roll situations. He's, he's deferred. I mean, I know it's sort of always been his thing to defer in the first quarter, and try and get others involved. I'd like to see him maybe a bit more aggressive in screen and roll actions, trying to penetrate a little bit more, except when it's, you know, other than when it's the obvious thing to do. I sort of miss the Lowry dribbling around, dribbling around a screen and roll, seeing there's nothing there, dribbling behind the net and trying to make a play happen that way. Uh, Ah, yes, gnashing the pick and roll. Yes. Um, But... I think it's his third, he's played three games, too. And he's still getting a feel for that. And he's still getting his game wind back, which is, as we've heard, different than conditioning in general. Um, so I think he's been pretty damn good, to be honest. Uh, and as I said, my by far my biggest concerns with him right now are defensively. And to be honest, I think they can withstand a not A-plus Kyle Lowry on defense right now. They might be able to. They're in eighth in defensive rating on the season now, sixth in offense, uh, one of very few teams to rank in the top ten on both ends, along with Golden State and San Antonio. They're in pretty good shape. Uh, Before we talk... Those are the only only three championship contenders, Blake. Obviously. Cleveland's, what, Mm -hmm. 34th in defense right now? I think they're behind... Raptors 905. Well, Raptors 905 uh, are. Raptors 905 would be an average NBA defense right now. The Fort Wayne Mad Ants. Um, I don't know any. The Canton Charge, Rip. Pour one out for the Canton Charge. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, many... getting down 38 points in an elimination game, that's, that's tough. Yeah, that doesn't work unless you're the Atlanta Hawks. Not that that was an elimination game. Can we talk about that for a second? 
the fact that the Hawks with their backups beat the Cavs and then two nights later the Cavs were up big and the Hawks came back and beat them in overtime. They were up like 26 points in the fourth quarter. While the Cavs weren't tanking, they're not trying to lose these games. LeBron's playing ridiculous minutes in them. It's uh, it's absurd. I was thinking about this. It's like, you know, there's a thinly veiled, uh, you know, mental health parallel to this whole podcast. The Raptors have now done basically everything they can do to secure themselves the best possible position in, like, the last few weeks. Uh, they're done controlling their own destiny. They have followed their process, and it has led them to this place where Wednesday's game will likely mean nothing to them. And now you just have to see how the process plays out. And if the process involves Cleveland losing two games totally inexplicably— Maybe losing on a, where this will come out on a Tuesday, but so it's being recorded before James Johnson drops 45 uh, against the Cavs on Monday night. His final uh, revenge against the Raptors. He can't get them in round one, so he's going to drop Cleveland to the two seed. Yeah, uh, after by the way, you know, helping them clinch with uh, with the game-winning layup against the Wizards on yes that Saturday night. Yes, James Johnson is a. Uh, He's just looking for revenge on everybody. All, all fates are controlled by James Johnson. Uh, what a world. Yeah, so, by the way, I saw a couple people suggesting, and I don't know how tongue-in-cheek it was because I wasn't watching the game live, that the Cavs were trying to tank out of the one spot. Um, if you were trying to tank, LeBron James would not have averaged over 43 minutes over the last five games. Uh, in this In this one, the game they lost on Sunday... He had a 32-16-10 triple-double and played 47 minutes and fouled out. Uh, LeBron is not in tank mode it makes right no now. There's, uh, also, there's also zero incentive. Uh, if the Cavs knew who the 8 seed was going to be versus the 7 seed, maybe you could make a case, but there's so much uncertainty there that there's no reasonable explanation for the Cavs not wanting the 1 seed. And if there were, uh, they would have rested guys against Boston on Wednesday. Yeah, no, I, I don't. That doesn't make sense. No, this is I, just them being bad. Yeah, like they're they have issues and they are being exploited because they are an NBA team and that happens sometimes. Yeah. Okay, so let's look at the standings right now. Um, Cleveland and Boston both play Monday night, so we won't get too deep into it. There is a scenario in which the Raptors could finish second still uh, if, the, if the Raptors win on Wednesday and Boston were to lose their next two games. Uh, it's pretty unlikely given Boston's schedule. Um, Cleveland, let, let's let's not even focus on the different scenarios because they'll be, have played out by the time this gets posted. But let's say hypothetically, uh, on Wednesday night, the Raptors can control their own fate, but in the second round, but only by way of losing to the Cavaliers. How do you think they'll play it out? Not what you would do, because. You know, logically, you sit guys down there, probably, and let Cleveland win that game. Uh, what do you think they'll do? Uh, I would guess that they will play the starters together for, you know, maybe 50-60% of the time that they normally would. You know, give them eight or nine minutes together in the first half same as the third, and then see how things develop. I don't think they're going to put a premium on winning that game because there's 
there will be no incentive for them to win that game. Um, there could only be incentive for them to lose that game. Uh, so I don't think they're going to play Kyle Lowry 40 minutes or DeMar DeRozan 40 minutes. Um, but I think there's still some legitimate concerns about getting as many minutes uh, for this group together uh, as is hashtag reasonable. So I would suggest my guess is it will be this middle ground play. How about you? What do you think? Yeah, I think it'll be a middle ground play. I think it'll be similar to um, the way they handled like the last preseason game, um, kind of like a first half dress rehearsal, and then it kind of folds up shop. I don't think though, like Lowry's not going to take a rest. Um, I think you still want to build that chemistry. We talked about the the number of minutes and the performance of the starting lineup. I don't think much would change. I do think um, Cleveland, if Cleveland wins on Monday night, they lock up the. Oh, no, I guess they wouldn't lock it up. But there's a scenario in which Cleveland, that game won't matter to Cleveland either. Well, that scenario involves Boston losing to Brooklyn, so. Yeah, which you'd rule out if Brooklyn hadn't just beaten Chicago in a game where Chicago could have more or less sealed their playoff fate. Yeah, but everybody loses. Chicago loses to everybody except the Raptors, except when they do lose to the Raptors. I'm just saying don't rule it out. Jeremy Lin's back. Weird stuff happens. Chicago's not a real team. They're, They're a fictional team. I, I'm torn on Chicago. I, I think Jimmy Butler deserves, like, the world and deserves to be in, a, in the playoffs. The rest of the Bulls deserve to be out of the playoffs, including their front office and their management and Dwayne Wade. The Bulls, no, look, no offense to our friends at the Athletic Chicago. The Bulls shouldn't be a playoff team the way this year has gone. Miami deserves that spot. Yeah. Um, but who deserves it more, Indiana or Chicago? I'd still probably say Indiana. Yeah, I'd lean there, too. Chicago's dumb. Yeah, there's a weird scenario in which if those three teams... Indiana's got a game cushion on Chicago-Miami right now. Uh, Indiana falls out if all three end up tied, so... Oh, my, for, my, dream, my dream of five teams finishing at 41 and 41 died with Atlanta's 26-point comeback yesterday. Could still I'm, get four, though, right? Because um, Milwaukee's probably. only 141. Yeah. I think it involves some team losing to the Sixers, so it seems unlikely, but I think the Pacers losing to the Sixers. Uh, but it is still possible. Um, but uh, I know Milwaukee has Boston on Wednesday night. Do yes. we know who's going to have before that? Um, I should know, but I don't remember. Mm. Um, do you want to go on a monologue while I check this? No, uh, they play Charlotte. And Charlotte... Uh-huh. Yes, games, I did check that. So, games no longer matter that's a, to Charlotte. Yeah. And I think, you know, arguably Charlotte deserves to be in the playoffs more than the Bulls. Hey, look, <laughs> you want to go by uh, things like net rating or your record when your whole team was intact? Charlotte's pretty good. Yeah. Charlotte yeah. has the sixth best uh, net rating of any Eastern Conference team. Uh, yeah. But life's not fairer. Um... Generally not. Sometimes it is. Okay, but let's let's focus in on that Atlanta Milwaukee. Life is fair or not? No. Um, so Atlanta Milwaukee, the way things stack up right now, Atlanta is a game up on Milwaukee, who are a game up on Indiana, who are a game up on Chicago, Miami. There's still a lot of uncertainty left. Mathematically, uh, Toronto's most likely opponent is Milwaukee. Yes, Atlanta has the tiebreaker on Milwaukee, so Atlanta would have to lose out, and Milwaukee would have to win out. And Milwaukee has a tiebreaker in Indiana. So Milwaukee would have to lose out and Indiana would have to win out to pass that. 
Right. So uh, before we we'll touch on Atlanta and Indiana very very briefly. Milwaukee has a potential first round playoff opponent. Uh, how disappointed are you that of all the cities you could have been going to for round one, you're drawing Milwaukee? Well, Bruce Arthur keeps on pushing this uh, this used bookstore in the airport. So uh, pumped. Sight. Cool. Um, I'm not a big fan of Milwaukee. I almost went to Marquette, and like I went there to like visit and check it out um, and stayed for a couple days. Milwaukee's not great. Yeah, that's what I hear, but let's stop short of, uh, you know, that Raptors game ops, Indiana, you know, diss oh, yeah. last year. Uh, I'm sure it's a fine city with some hardworking people. And... No, the, the people of Milwaukee, I'm sure, are great. Yeah. Um, Bernie Brewer, obviously. Yeah. Uh, Eric Thames is in Milwaukee now, which is awesome. And it's where the pro- protagonists of Bridesmaids came uh, were from. How do you Last know that? How is that on your brain? Um, Did you recently watch Bridesmaids? I think it's probably been at least a few months. Uh, like I, I would have been like seeing it on on TV, and because uh, she, Maya Rudolph's character, uh, when she goes missing before the wedding, goes back to her apartment in Milwaukee. Weird. Um, Random pull, Eric. Yeah, um, good movie. So, um, so, and also the Brewers are home, and I've never been to Miller Park. I don't hear, like, the greatest things in the world, but I I like collecting baseball stadiums. That would be a new one for me. So, uh, it's not, not the worst. I'm not, uh, the thing that worries me is flights and potentially having to go through O'Hare, which you never want to do, but, uh... These are sports writer complaints, which I don't look to go uh, too far down that rabbit hole because we can't afford a 90-minute podcast. No. Uh, So Milwaukee has a basketball opponent for the Raptors. Uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo draws the headlines. He's probably a top 10, maybe top 15 player in the NBA this year. Uh, Most improved candidate once again. Um, He's a terrific matchup problem in transition at the defensive end where he can guard all five positions at the offensive end where he's basically their point guard but doesn't have a position. Uh, and he's flanked by not only uh, a potential rookie of the year in Malcolm Brogdon, who's working his way back to health, uh, a decent three-point shooter and a pest in Matthew Delvadova, but also the returning Chris Middleton. The Bucks lost Jabari Parker, which is a big offensive loss for them. Uh, he can do a lot of really nice things on the offensive end. He's very versatile. Chris Middleton, though, uh, his defense isn't all the way back yet after the groin injury, it doesn't seem. Um, but he's another very long guy that they can throw at, at these traps and blitzes that Jason Kidd likes to use. Um, Tony Snell has some nice length, too. He's, you know, kind of Terrence Ross at Jace overall, but he's got some nice length defensively. Uh, and then Chris Middleton also gives them, you know, probably their best post score outside of Greg Monroe and their best spot-up shooter. Um, as a twosome, Middleton and Giannis are kind of scary for what Milwaukee would want to do against the Raptors' offensive attack. Yeah, I mean, just... Just defensively and in pure basketball, let's not analyze experience and all those X factors type things. I think this is the worst opponent of the five that the Raptors could have had. I agree. And we seem to be in the minority on that, by the way. Well, it's just because you see Milwaukee and they're young and, and you're like, it's not their time yet. And I don't think it's their time yet. Like, I think the Raptors should beat them, but. The Milwaukee Bucks are the Leafs of the NBA. Exactly. 
Well, not exactly, but no, close, not exactly, but close enough uh, to being accurate. And that's what we strive here on the Raptors Reasonable Us podcast. Close enough to being accurate. Yeah, we've just come up with our title. Yeah. Um. So, you know, the what they can do to like just think about last year's first round series. George Hill, who's nowhere near as long as you know some of the options that the Bucks have. Malcolm Brogdon is a very long point guard. Okay, never mind. So I haven't measured his wingspan recently. Um, but Malcolm Brogdon, although he's, you know, he is, does not have that experience defensively that George Hill has. He, I think we could say, uh, no matter how solid he is, he's just, you know, there are more questions about him defensively than George this year, time ago. George but, Hill is, like, among the top three or four Lowry defenders. Yeah, but he can approximate that, maybe. And then they could, you know, put Giannis or Tony Snell, who's long, or Middleton, who's long, on DeRozan. And, you know, DeRozan had one of his worst games of the year uh, against the Bucks. And Without I talk- Lowry, it should be noted. Yes, but, uh, you know, I talked to him about that, as we alluded to last week. And, and he was very focused on not making, uh, on, on sort of eliminating that blueprint, which he mostly did over the next few weeks. Uh, but you have to remember Jason Kidd has coached against this, against this, you know, those two players, at least in a playoff series. Eric Hughes, who worked with DeMar DeRozan during his formative NBA years, is on that coaching staff. Uh, and they have just a lot of length they can throw at you. Uh, you know, you can play off DeRozan and still get a hand in his face on, you know, an 18-footer. There's no, like, Derrick Rose. You're not going to be able to switch on to Derrick Rose in this situation, you know? Um, so... And there's it, not... The thing at the other the other end, too, is there's not really... Look, DeRozan, when he's locked in, doesn't need to be hidden on defense, but with his offensive load, you kind of want to give him the easiest check. If it's Middleton and Giannis out there... And then Brogdon at point guard or Del Vadova at point. There's not a good spot to throw DeRozan, um, especially if you're running like a Lowry Joseph DeRozan look. There's not a good spot to slide him. Yeah, he's gonna uh, have to guard one of those guys. Yeah, or you can put him on one of the quote-unquote bigs, I suppose. Um, yeah, but even like the, yeah. the big might be Giannis. Like like Middleton and Giannis could be the three-four. Yeah, it'll you know. It's a nice series for the Raptors to have Serge Ibaka, P.J. Tucker, and Patrick Patterson. And even Damari Carroll. Damari Carroll's done an okay job with Giannis in the past. Yeah. Um, this is like... And that, like, I feel better on that end of the court about the Raptors' potential welfare than on offense. Which is uh, interesting because despite all these things we just described about what Milwaukee can do on defense, they rank 20th in defensive efficiency. They're yeah. actually a better offensive team than they are defensive. Yeah, but you have to remember the Jabari Parker noise uh, that yep. will not be relevant. Um, but yeah, like Chris Middleton, uh, Jonathan Chark wrote, wrote about it. Uh, yeah, that was a great piece at the ringer, right? Yeah. Uh, he's really, really good, even if he is not quite caught up defensively. And uh, I think most NBA fans know maybe not how good he is, but that he's really good. And Raptors fans are probably going to get a taste of that. Like, I don't, 
you know, I got some people in my mention saying, oh, this is a sweep or a five-game series. Like, I really don't think so. Like, it, I think you're I looking mean, at I six or seven. See, I could see it being five, just, you know, with Milwaukee yeah. unable to win one on the road or whatever. But I wouldn't, like, if I'm, if but I were gonna to win call it, 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 it would be similar to Indiana last year where I w- if I were to call it in five, and I don't think I would, I think I'd probably pick Raptors in six. If you were to call it in five and Milwaukee takes one of the first two games, you have to readjust the seven because you can't really bank on the Raptors taking two on the road. Yeah. Yeah, um, that, that's sort of how I feel about things. Um, uh, again, I favor the Raptors in any of these series, uh, but this, you know, uh, Every team would give me some pause, even Atlanta, which was supposed to be the good matchup. Like, they're certainly looking friskier of, of light. And they well, have, yeah, you had Jose Calderon. Yeah, well, but Millsap's back and healthy. And Bazemore's back and healthy. Um, like, that's a talented team. Um, again, one that I think the Raptors are better than, but I don't think that's, like, a significantly easier series than the Bucs would be. But uh, I think, I still think the Bucs, on paper, uh, sort of ignoring some of the more ethereal matters of playoff of the playoffs, uh, scare me the most. Yeah, I'm I'm still pulling for Indiana to end up in that sixth seed. I think Indiana's the best matchup for Toronto to draw. They're a demonstrably worse team than they were last year when the Raptors beat them in seven. Could have lost. They have a lot of bad, they have a lot of bad players. Yes. Um, yeah, and Lance Stevenson, you know. He'll, he'll win them a game, he'll cost them a game. So that's basically a five-game series. Uh, interesting things about the Bucks. Just a couple notes here. I mentioned that they're a very bad rebounding team. Um, that the Raptors... The Raptors, since the All-Star break, have been phenomenal on the glass. So, uh, big potential advantage there. Milwaukee uh, is very similar to Toronto offensively in that uh, they play... They're one of the only teams that play a slower pace than the Raptors. They, uh, they rank 26th in pace. And they also are similar to the Raptors in that they don't shoot a lot of threes, but they shoot them fairly well. They rank 10th in three-point percentage, uh, but only 21st in the portion of three portion of their shots that they take uh, from three-point range. So if you're looking at the things the Raptors are doing well right now, like rebounding, or the things they do poorly, uh, like a high volume of threes, um, well, the Raptors are one spot behind Milwaukee in volume of threes uh, percentage-wise, and they're within half a percentage point of Milwaukee in three-point percentage. So... Um, you know, Milwaukee can't really shoot their way out of a game or run Toronto off the floor. Uh, so, you know, that's the, the threat there is minimized a little bit of exploiting Toronto's weaknesses. Um, but yeah, this is this is not an easy matchup. And, you know, what? I think it would be a lot of fun this series, but I think it would be the kind of fun where it's not fun to go through. And then afterward, it's really fun to reflect on because it was a good series. If that yeah. makes any sense. Um, no, it totally makes sense. Uh, you know, like it's. It's the playoffs. Like, what's fun? A four-game sweep? Yeah, sure. But uh, I, I think it would be a very interesting test, uh, particularly for DeRozan's growth. I mean, not. I think we're sort of past the point of questioning him too much. But you know, this is aside from like playing Kawhi Leonard or or Jimmy Butler or Paul George for you know. Every minute he's on the floor, uh, this is sort of we'll learn a lot about his ability to uh, deal with team defense, the type of team defense that could give him the most trouble, theoretically. 
Yeah, and, and, you know, the Raptors survived Milwaukee. There's a good chance that, I mean, there's a good chance regardless of who Toronto plays, uh, that the team they would run into in the second round if they get through is going to be looking at that series for a lot of lessons yeah. uh, in terms of what to do. I think uh, Mark, Mark Deeks uh, wrote about that um, a while ago now, two or three weeks ago, and it was just before DeRozan started to come out of it, and he sort of said that Milwaukee did give teams a bit of a blueprint for what to do. And there was like a week after that box series where DeRozan was sort of like wobbly on those traps or hard hedges, uh, and I think we saw him figure it out over the course of the time that Lowry was out, and now Lowry is back, which is good. Uh, but that's a piece um, worth uh, revisiting if you're curious about the type of defenses that the Bucks would throw at DeRozan. Yeah, yeah, that was a good piece from Deeks. Uh, I, w- I wish he still wrote more. Uh, I have lots of things that I wish. That doesn't crack my top ten, but... Uh, he is a very talented writer. and Yeah, uh, yeah I didn't say it was at the top of the things <laughs> that I wish, Eric. Yes. Uh, but you you do you. You be facetious about an offhanded compliment of another writer. He's very good, Mark Deeks. Yeah. Um, okay, we're coming up against it for time here. So is, is, is there anything else you want to – wow, that was a great stutter, Blake. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about, um, whether it's the Raptors game on Wednesday against the Cavs, Raptors rotation things, playoff opponent related. Uh, anything else to get off your chest here, Eric? Um, your thick, strong, hairy, manly chest? Yeah. Um, I think the interesting thing about how the Celtics Cavs series or, you know, battle for first plays out isn't, as we've said, if the Raptors push Cleveland hard in the second or third round, doesn't really matter like that is a sign of legitimate progress. Uh, But the reason to root for Cleveland to finish first isn't necessarily that you want to have a longer playoff run than otherwise, although you do. Like, it's fun to be in the playoffs as opposed to not be in them anymore. Uh, But I think the more games Kyle Lowry has under his belt, uh, the better. And... You want him to be as close to uh, as good as he can be once that margin for error is uh, as low as it's going to be, which I would still say is against the Cavs if that series should materialize. Yeah, Uh, I also think just going through extra playoff series is valuable experience, and it's more information, right? Like, if you're you're entering this offseason trying to see what this team is, and, you know, they have a good series against Cleveland in the second round— that's great, and that's the measuring stick. But you know a little bit more, too, if they've also gone through a series with, say, Boston. Yeah. Or if we're being realistic, the team that beats Boston in the first round, in the second yeah. round. <laughs> um, yes, I agree with most of those things. To be clear, we don't have an athletic Boston yet, right? Mm, co- correct. So we need to be nice to Chicago and Cleveland and the Bay Area, but I don't have to be nice to Boston teams yet, right? Uh, no, and even if I think we can turn this into a, a playful, I mean, you do, like, like, uh, lots of people hate Boston. Uh, Yeah, the thing is that The Athletic is expanding and, you know, it's a great project and everything, but why expand into a city where the teams aren't actually good? Um, you know, (laughs) let's do the good cities like Cleveland and Chicago and Toronto first. (laughs) Because <laughs> those Red Sox, they're not going to run away with the AL East, and oh, you know God. these Celtics are out in the first round, and all that stuff. 
The so, Patriots are no good. Well, yeah, I'm so depressed about the Jays start. It's fine, man. Yeah, sure. Like, I, it's one week, I know that, but yeah. uh, I've got concerns. But Or, as I tweeted yesterday after the game, just cancel summer. Yeah. Um, it'll, it'll bring back a lot of memories of totally tuning out of Jays seasons in June or July. Look, I, I am heavily invested in these Jays teams from the last couple years, but prior to the Jays getting good, all I really wanted was a reason to pay attention in August and September, like something to get me through to next basketball season. Um, so the longer the Raptors go, the longer the Jays have to figure it out. And then, you know, if the Jays could just pick it up when the Raptors are done and take me into next basketball season, it's great. This is this all, you know, it's all one big sports calendar. And the Jays, the Jays have a little bit of a cushion to get things going right now with the Leafs and Raptors in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, and thankfully, you can read great coverage on all three teams, plus TFC, who have started back up at the Athletic Toronto. Um, yeah, the Leaf coverage, I mean, the Leaf coverage at the Athletic has been insane all year. I'm yeah. so excited for those guys that they get to uh, flex a little bit in a playoff series against the Capitals. Yeah, uh, I caught, I mean, not a huge hockey fan at this point, but uh, that third period against Pittsburgh was electric. Uh, it's too bad the Leafs-Ottawa series didn't materialize because that would have been a stupid amount of fun. But uh, so it goes. Oh, by the way, uh, relevant to the Raptors, we talked about this off-air. I thought I had mentioned it on our podcast, but we hadn't. Uh, If anyone is looking ahead to their Toronto sports schedule for next week or trying to figure out when the Raptors might play, Game 2 is almost definitely going to be on Tuesday because the Leafs are at home uh, Monday and Wednesday for Games 3 and 4 against the Capitals. So the Raptors game two almost definitely happening on Tuesday, regardless of whether uh, the Raptors have a 12:30 game Saturday or 12:30 game Sunday. Yes. But uh, it will be Saturday. Astute analysis from our, our lovely host. Okay. Uh, Eric, anything else before we let you go, buddy? Uh, enjoy the sun, y'all. It's uh, beginning to feel like spring, which means I'll be getting to feel like summer in uh, two weeks. All right, my parting shot, uh, just the Raptors have won 50 games in back-to-back seasons. Whatever happens in the playoffs, whatever happens with the future of the franchise from there, don't ever wish to go back. Don't ever wish to be starting Ron Baker. Don't ever wish for the Ben Uzo halcyon days. Uh, The Raptors are a legitimately strong franchise now and have had four very good seasons in a row. Appreciate that, even if things don't end ultimately the way you want them to end. I, I believe I wrote about that at The Athletic yesterday. Yeah, people can check that out. Yeah, if they if they want. All right, uh, we will be back next week, and we will have uh, one playoff game to talk about. We'll be teeing up game two, and this podcast could conceivably be coming to you from the Air Canada Center. Uh, so we will talk to you then. Eric, thanks so much, buddy. Blake, have a good week. If only to be a reasonable man.